Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Okay, good evening church. For those who are here for the first time tonight, I, my name is Stefan, Lauren and I, Lauren is my wife, <coughs> we head up this congregation. Um, I also work full-time during the week as a consultant at a strategy implementation firm. Um, I, we, we were at the morning service briefly this morning because um, <coughs> Henny was ordained. <laughs> might, might seem strange to many of you, known him as a long time as, as a senior pastor over Joburg. Um, you may not know that he's also a regional leader <coughs> within Shofar, so he actually also, um, other congregations in our region fall under him like Secunda and Standerton and Bloemfontein, and I think there may be another one. Um, and so in addition to the two churches in Joburg, he actually also oversees those churches. So we went there. Um, Philip was there, who is uh, <coughs> Henny's boss. Um, don't know how else to say it. Um, and, and he was saying, he was just commending the guys who were at the morning service, you know, on a Sunday morning on a long weekend. It was also slim, slim pickings um, with tomorrow being a holiday. So um, bonus points for you guys. Um, in, when I was in Rez in Stellenbosch, we used to talk about um, Kamerpinte. I don't know if you... Kamerpinte directly translated is room points. And in Rez, you need to earn room points, and you can earn it through various ways, and then you can choose the better rooms in Rez. So you guys have earned heaven room points, okay? Um, so, so good to have you here. I um, want to specifically... Uh, have us give a, a huge shout to um, Marcus and Charlotte who got engaged two weeks ago. Yes, I have to make that joke of the, you know, she's not worshipping like this. And <laughs> she's not really, she's not that kind of, kind of girl. Um, but uh, yeah, we just... I just love it when two people who love the Lord come together, and um, we really appreciate you guys as yo, just people who live out your passion for God in such a practical way, and so consistent in, in loving Him and loving those around you, um, and so we're excited for you, and we wish you all the best. Um, I also want to just specifically again say welcome to the people who are visiting for the first time here tonight. We love that you're here. If you're able, please hang around afterwards and have some coffee with us. Um, and last, last point before we get into it, please do register for the camp if you haven't done that already, the last weekend of, of October. Um, it's always an amazing time on our calendar for us to connect as a family. It, of course, won't be just be us. It will be the Randburg congregation as well. Um, but kind of reflecting on the year, connecting with each other. Last year, we had sports in the pool and 30 seconds marathons, and, um, but also just connecting with the Lord and, and planning for talking about vision for the, for the year that is to come. Um, so please, if you, if you can at all, put that time aside. Um, join us for that camp. Who here enjoys the act of waiting? Anybody? <laughs> if I, um, if, when, people, when people talk about patience around you, what, what, is the, what is the kind of default emotional response that comes up? Is it a positive or a neutral or a not so positive? 
Give me a sense. You need exactly. Give me patience now. <laughs> right. Someone once said the um, we we sometimes confuse the gifts of the spirit with the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> right. We want to work for the gifts. We want to try to earn the gifts, and the fruit we just want to receive as a free <laughs> as a free gift. Right. Patience being, of course, part of the fruit of the spirit. Um. I was I was facilitating a session at work this week with some um, uh, a group of executives from one of the big telco companies here in South Africa, and we were exploring with them how um, customer expectations um, have changed over the last while or are changing, and how they're experiencing that, what they're observing um, in their roles at this company. And so we brainstorm, and there's lots of trends around how customer expectations are changing of this telco company. And um, one of the things they mentioned was very interesting to me. So they talked about the, they're, they're, they're seeing more and more of what they refer to as um, the always-on generation. Um, so this is not me talking. This is what they said. Um, and they said customers, maybe the, the concept isn't new, but it's just increasing at such a rapid pace where people expect for their needs to be fulfilled right now. Um, and that, of course, has become a competitive advantage between different companies. So if you're the one that does that better and faster, then you'll attract more customers. Um, not only that, they actually also expect people, um, they also expect service providers to, um, I say they, it's probably us, expect service providers to not only meet their need immediately, but to actually be able to predict their need before I realize it myself. Um, and we see how many companies have started to do that, right? So um, some of the mobile operators, uh, some of these t um, telco companies have now, <clears throat> when they, they see that you purchase a, a data bundle for a certain amount of data, uh, let's say on the 20th of each month, of course they pick that up. And then on the 18th of the month, they'll send you a customized promotion for Stefan especially, which is maybe usually you bought one gig, but now it's for two gig. Uh, but it's like, it's only a little bit more, you know, it's not double the price. Um, and so they're actually getting that right in terms of predicting our needs in certain ways. Um, and so that's become the expectation. That's just a given almost when we interact with these kind of companies. You need to predict my needs and fulfill them as soon as you can. So that was quite interesting to me. And I, I was reflecting on that and, um, you know, in our work, what we've also come across is a concept called liquid expectations. I don't know if anyone has ever heard about liquid expectations. What liquid expectations basically means is that what we experience in one area of our life influences the expectation we have of experience in other areas of our life. So if I have an amazing experience with a telco company, um, a natural consequence of that is that my expectation of what to experience when I'm engaging my bank will also be higher. Because if I can experience it there, why can't I experience it there? And I was, I was thinking about this concept, and, I, and it's been researched and it's been proven, and, and I was like, what, what's the broader effect of liquid expectations, of our expectations? You know, is there an effect on um, how we do life? and our expectations of the people around us um, in terms of meeting our needs, predicting our needs and meeting them even before we 
we realize what they are. Is it possible that, that that actually sometimes filters into our relationship with the Lord? Needs to anticipate my needs. Of course, he does know what our needs are before we do and before the telco operators do. But he knows that it's not always best for us to have it fulfilled right there and then. Um, and so I was challenged by that. And um, it made me think of, of something that happened about four months ago um, with me. I was having breakfast one morning with a friend of mine, and he was talking about, you know, God had been challenging him to, to dream with him again. I feel like for a time he was, you know, just focusing on what he needs to do, and, and God was inviting him to dream with him once again. And uh, I remember leaving that breakfast, and I was like, I was a mess, you know. I had my plan for the day, and I was like, this is what I need to execute. And, but I felt like God was extending that invitation to me too, to dream with him. What's, what's he thinking about, you know, and how, how do I fit into that? What's, what's possible, you know, what could the future entail in, in, in following God? And um, I, I just couldn't focus, and I took the rest of the day off, and I, I remember driving to, to Benjamin's school to go and pick him up from school, and I, I just met with the Lord's presence in the car, and I, I just started weeping. Um, because he's just felt so close, you know. I, th- I think many of us have experienced that moment. And, and um, I was allowing myself to go there again in terms of dreaming of, of what God wants to do and, and, and what that might mean for me and my family in the future. And, um, and that went on for a few weeks. And then, then God was saying to me once, he told me that he, he wants us to say yes. I was like, okay, Lord, but yes to what? And, um, but it wasn't really about the specific thing. It was just about saying yes. It was responding to say, yes, Lord, we'll go wherever you want to go. And there came that point, you know, we, had, we were at church in Stellenbosch, and the, the sermon was exactly what the Lord had been speaking to us about, and we went forward afterwards and prophetic words, and, and we knew, Lauren and I both knew, okay, now we need to say yes. This is the moment. And so we said yes with this person who was praying with us, and it, it was amazing, and we had such peace and uh, the next day, I was like, okay, but now everything is still the same. <laughs> We've said yes now, but what now, you know? And, uh, and then I felt the Lord said, now you wait. And, um, and, and that was, that, I was like, cool, you know, wait for two, three weeks, and then, <laughs> then we go, right? And um, <laughs> I... I was actually, during that time, I was careful what I say here because my, my colleagues sometimes listen to my sermons, um, but uh, I, I, at that time, was actually, um, I was formulating my resignation letter in my head, you know, because we had now said yes, and so the next thing was coming, and I was very excited about the next thing, so I was like, okay, well, you know, dear so-and-so, I regret to whatever, <laughs> um, you know, and when I'm going to hand it to my manager. I was, I was literally like picturing that in my mind. And, um, and by God's grace, I, I didn't hand in my resignation letter because that wasn't the leading of the spirit, if you know what I mean. Um, and, oh, but then I became frustrated after three weeks or so because it was so clear, like there were so many things that led to this yes. And... Um, it was just hard to continue, you know, in the same kind of routine. And, 
And we went, Lauren and I went to, to uh, like a week uh, retreat that was something that was, you know, arranged long before everything happened. And um, I, I remember being there and I remember, um, yeah, we spoke earlier about discipline. <laughs> Mason spoke about discipline and God just disciplined me and he said, you've, you've not been waiting well. And um, I was like, sure, Lord, that's true. I've been waiting in frustration I've been waiting in passivity. I've been waiting in just becoming despondent and trying to make it happen in my own strength. And uh, I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel condemned. You know, I wanted to feel like, oh, I failed. You know, I, I did not wait well. And then God was just like, it's fine. I'm, I, this is what I'm teaching you now. You've never actually had to learn to wait well. So this is what I'm, I'm teaching you now. Um, and God then gave me the following scripture. James 1, verse 1 to 4. It says, um, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So a couple of things that I want to I wanna touch on tonight. I um, want to look at how our faith is tested when we wait. I want us to look at what the full effect of our waiting is. And to consider perhaps what we're ultimately waiting for while we're waiting for many other things. And then coming soon to a sermon near you, um, um, I will be sharing on some of the, on a more practical level, um, some of the some of the keys from Scripture that I believe God showed me um, what to do while you wait, <laughs> um, to make the most of that time and to make sure that we we grab hold of everything that God has prepared for us during that time. But that'll be at a at a next um, during a next message. I want us to go back to that Scripture. Um, James 1, verse 1 to 4, it says, The testing of your faith produces patience. Right? So it says, Rejoice, you know, or count it all joy when you face various trials. Um, various trials means there are many different kinds of trials, right? One of those trials or one of those tests can be waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. Um, that's one of the trials, right? And patience implies waiting, so, so it will produce patience. And that patience implies waiting. Um, and so the testing of our faith produces patience. Um, and I realized when God gave, me, God gave me that word, or God asked us to say yes to this thing and then wait, the promise that he had given us was being tested, Right? Because you receive a word from God, you see like a picture of something that the future might hold, um, you receive a promise or a calling, um, and, it, and it doesn't happen immediately. It almost never happens immediately, if you think about it. And then it's tested, right? Then, then it's tested in, the t in terms of, what will you believe? Will you believe what you see, what's practical, how situations are, are panning out? Or will you believe what God had said and hang on to, to that promise, right? So there's, there the testing comes in. 
patience here um, in this scripture, it's actually translated a couple of different ways in other scriptures. Um, if we can just go to the next slide. So patience there is that Greek word. I'm just going to, in English, I would say hypomonon. Um, the definition of that word is a remaining behind, a patient enduring, right? Uh, synonyms, and it's actually translated in some of the other um, versions of the Bible in, in some of these words, um, endurance, steadfastness, or perseverance, right? So it says, let the testing of your faith produce patience. In other words, let, while your faith is being tested, like, like allow that, you know, <laughs> allow, let the testing of your faith, allow the testing of your faith to produce patience, and patience is the patient enduring. Patience is perseverance, it's steadfastness, it's staying the course when everything else around us is being thrown about, right? But then it goes on, and the really interesting part to me is the part that follows, it says, let patience have its perfect work, right? Let patience have its perfect work, and that begs the question, what's that, what is that perfect work? And uh, that scripture goes on and it goes on to say, you know, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But it's less about perfection in that scripture. Um, another translation actually says, let patience or let perseverance have its full effect. So there is a full effect that God wants to bring about in us while we're waiting for whatever was promised. And that to me is so huge. Right? Let patience, let steadfastness have its complete work, its full effect, so that you may be perfect. And that perfect is not, it's not so much perfection as it is maturity. Right? Maturity in Christ. Maturity in God. So while you're waiting, let patience have its full work. Let's, let patience do this work inside of you of being transformed. What does maturity in, in God entail? We know that maturity in God is about Christ-likeness, right? It's about becoming more like Jesus. It's about freedom. It's about understanding. It's about growing in relationship. It's about the renewal of our mind, right, um, that Romans talks about. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that we may grow up into maturity, lacking nothing, may be like Jesus. What an amazing promise the effect of patience. But it says, let patience have this complete work in you, this full effect in you. Um, and some of the things we spoke about. So there's actually, if you think about it, there's a, there's a promise beneath the promise. Right? There's a promise of the thing that you're waiting for. But, but almost more than that, I don't know if it's, if it's right to say more than that, but to me it, it feels like almost more than the actual thing we're waiting for, God is saying, let this process of waiting have its full effect. Let that unearth, um, Mezen spoke earlier about God coming to do a shaking, right? And unearthing some of the things that's not so lacking within us sometimes. Or establishing things that are, oh, just brings freedom and brings glory to the Father, so, um, so let patience, let let patience do that, 
um, the promise beneath the promise. It's a deep work of transformation. Um, some of you who know may have heard, um, um, what's his name? The guy that came here and spoke about culture and discipleship. John Andrews, Dr. John Andrews, right? Um, some of you may remember how he speaks about um, the environment, which is external to us, and then the environment, right, which is inside of us. And so what I believe the scripture is saying is that sometimes God will give us a promise for our environment. It's an external promise, something that's going to happen. You know, it may be a promise around a, sp- a spouse or a calling or a gift God wants to give us. But actually, the promise for the environment is really because he wants to do something in our environment. Because in the waiting, we're learning to trust. We're learning to rely. We're learning to believe. Our faith is being matured. It's being solidified, right? Um, While we wait, and we're learning his faithfulness and what he's preparing us for. That scripture also says, um, count it all joy. And um, I spent some time with Henny before the sermon and, um, you know, walking Greek dictionary. And um, he was like, did you know? And he actually took me to the original Greek that the count it all joy is a, it's an imperative, which means it's a command. Which is, it seems harsh, right? <laughs> count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And it's almost like... The temptation could be to try and stir up that joy in our own strength, to be like, we need to be happy, you know, put on our happy, like, Christian faces because it's trials and it's, it's great. But if we understand what that full effect, that complete work actually represents, it's a little bit easier to remain joyful when that stuff's happening. If we realize that while we're waiting for the ultimate promise, there's a lot of stuff happening inside that's shifting, that's becoming more reliant, that's becoming more steadfast, that's becoming more... Like Jesus, it becomes a little bit easier to remain joyful during that trial, right? Another thing that was interesting for me from that scripture is it says, um, it says, you know, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And I was just thinking, do we know that? The audience that James was writing to they knew that. Well, it seems like James at least thought that they knew that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Um, I didn't know that. I don't accept that as a truth by default, right? I had to be confronted by the scripture and really think about it to think, sure, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work that you may become mature in Christ. And um, I wonder how often I have... Only let patience have its partial work in me rather than its complete work or its full effect um, by trying to, to intervene, trying to make it happen in my own strength or trying to quicken the process outside of God's timing. Um, so if we look at some of the most celebrated and central figures in Scripture, we actually see our waiting was a, a major part of their character building and God preparing them for what He actually wanted to Unleashing them. So Noah waited 120 years for the predicted rains. Right? I mean, what, what is that? <laughs> Build a boat. <laughs> okay. 
120 years later, there's the rain. Okay, Abraham waited 25 years for a promised son. Joseph waited 14 years in prison um, for a crime that he didn't commit. And um, Job, it's not clear from Scripture the exact number, but it's somewhere between 60 and 70 years for God to bring justice and restore everything that was taken away from him due to no fault of his own, just for the purpose of God's glory. Um, So if you think about, um, I mean, some of these guys waited longer. I want to focus a little bit on on Abraham. Um, Before we do that, I think there's a really cool... um, Scripture, but it's not a scripture, it's a quote <laughs> by John C. Maxwell on the next slide. Um, <laughs> um, he says, God prepares, so this previous slide's actually from work that he did, just the, the periods of waiting for those characters. Um, God prepares leaders in a slow cooker, not in a microwave oven. More important than the awaited goal is the work God does in us while we wait can see that that's hitting home for some of us (laughs) Um, yeah it's it's not it's not the default of our generation I guess Um, we grew up with microwaves I mean what's the purpose of a slow cooker Um, but God prepares leaders think about um, I'm just thinking of this now but think about the quality of a nice piece of lamb cooked in the microwave versus in a slow cooker, right? Um, and so that's God's preferred way of preparing leaders. And he understands that there's sometimes just a lot of stuff that needs to happen in the waiting so that we're ready um, when the promise actually comes to pass. Um, and more important than the awaited goal is the work God does in us while we wait. So let's, let's look a little bit more at Abraham. Um, Abraham's story, I, I, I put a bit of a... Um, a timeline, there, there's, there's quite a bit of content around Abraham's life in Scripture, of course. It's from Genesis 12 to 25 is basically Abraham's life. Um, I think the first major point in his life is in Genesis 12 where God calls him, right? And God says, I want you to come out from um, your family and your nation and where you're living, and I want you to move to a different place. Forsake everything that you know, everything that's familiar and comfortable, and move to a new place. I want to use you to start a new nation. And I want to bless all these nations through you. Right? The next step is where Abraham receives the promise. So now God had given him the promise at the first step of, um, I want to use you, you know, as a seed for um, a huge nation, a special nation. And then God, Abraham says to God, well, I don't have any heirs. I, you know, the next in line to inherit my estate is the servant in my household. And um, God says, it will not be through this guy. It will be an heir from your own seed um, that will inherit um, and through which all these nations will come. The third step is where Abraham and Sarah um, forces the promise, right? Where, uh, to be fair, it is 11 years later. It is 11 years later, and they're now, um, you can just click to the next slide, um, he was 75 when God called him. He was 86. And uh, Scripture talks about being, we know that people in that day and age grew older than we do today. Um, but even at this age, in those times, they're already beyond the, the point of childbearing, right? Um, so Abraham forces the promise, and Sarah asks him to go into bed with her concubine. 
Um, Abram does that. She conceives, and the child's name is Ishmael. Um, and then we see also just a picture of sometimes the, the not-so-lack-of-stuff that follows when we force, force God's promises outside of his timing. Because Ishmael was Abram's son, and he loved him, but he wasn't the chosen heir. And these two nations couldn't live in the same house. And so Abram actually had to kick out his concubine and his own son um, in order to make room for what God had promised and so we see there's, it's, not, it's not, so, not so great when we do that. Um, the next big moment, I think, is when the promise is confirmed. And um, Abram is 99 years old at that point in time. And it's where God says, um, I'm again giving you this promise. I'm confirming what I said to you previously. And um, I want you to make a covenant with me by circumcision, you and all the men in your household and your servants, etc. And then finally... Um, Isaac is born when Abraham is 100 years old. Can you remember what, where you were 25 years ago? I think some of us were perhaps not here <laughs> then. I, 25 years ago, I was five years old. I uh, don't remember much from that time. I think I had a crocodile cake that year. And uh, running around, but that's as much, about as much as I remember from 25 years ago. That's when he received the promise, 25 years ago. Um, what was the promise? The promise was that he would be the father of many nations, right? The father of a multitude of nations. Um, what was the effect of his waiting? If we talk about... You know, James 1 says, let patience have its full, its complete work or its, its full effect. What was that for Abram? What did that look like? What's the effect it had? Well, um, we know James 1 says, let the testing of your faith produce patience and let patience have its full effect. Abram is called the father of faith, right, in Scripture. He's um, in Hebrews 11 when it's the faith hall of fame or the Hall of Faith, if you will, um, where they go through all of these amazing guys who just believe God against the odds and just took his word to heart and just ran with that and saw amazing things happen. There's quite a big portion of that dedicated to Abraham, right? And um, Scripture, a couple of times in the New Testament, it, said, it says it here in Genesis as well, but in the New Testament it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and so his faith was refined, it was made beautiful, it was made powerful, it was made consistent and enduring while he was waiting for this promise to come to pass. Because every day you have to choose, is that promise real? Is the God who made that promise real? Or are we just fools for waiting for this? And of course then God also tested his heart to see, well, is he only waiting for the actual promise or is he waiting for God himself, who is the ultimate promise? And that's where he asked him to, to sacrifice Isaac, right? And um, as much as God wanted to see what was in Abraham's heart, I think God knew what was in Abraham's heart, but he also wanted Abraham to see the effect of his waiting and what his faith had brought him to. Because the, the testing of your faith there is actually, it's a positive test, 
if you look at the original language. So it's, it's almost more an approving of your faith, to prove that your faith is solid and that your faith is real. Um, so let the testing of your faith, let the approving of your faith produce patience. And he did that for, for Abraham as well. Um, and his faith made him in right standing with God, having been accounted to him as righteousness. So God gave him a promise for his environment, right? Isaac, the son which was to be born through which all of those nations would come. Um, and that's it. That's an easy promise for God to fulfill. I mean, God, it says in other places in Scripture that God could raise offspring for himself from anything, right? It's not a difficult thing for God to do. Um, but he used that promise as a means to, to work in Abraham and establishing God himself as his great reward so that he could be trusted with the legacy which was about to be released. Hebrews, um, I actually want to read us a, a, a part of Hebrews 11. It says, Hebrews 11 verse 8, if you want to follow. Um, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited, this is important, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith. Let me ask you a question. Did, um, did Abraham see the fulfillment of the promise in his lifetime? No, he was, God gave him a promise of a promised land, of a multitude of nations being born through his seed. He didn't see the promised land. When they died, they were still living nomadically in tents. They had not yet established in the promised land. They had but one son, him and Sarah, not a multitude of nations. And so sometimes the promises God gives us is not even just for us, it's for the, the generations that comes after us, right? It's a legacy promise that God will fulfill, and God did eventually fulfill that promise by bringing Israel into the promised land and by letting a multitude of nations come through that seed. We know about the 12 tribes and about thousands and thousands and millions of Israelites that came through that seed, but Abraham didn't see that in his lifetime, Right? But he was able to be faithful and to remain true to the promise and remain true to God because his ultimate hope, his ultimate faith was not in the fulfillment of that promise, but it was in this, in verse 8. Sorry, if you, just the other slide with that. Um, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 13 goes on to say, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. James 1 um, started off and it greets the, it greets, um, the 12 tribes of Israel who has been scattered. Right? Other translations talk about the dispersion of the 12 tribes. Um, or it, calls, it, uh, it talks about the diaspora. Um, a group of people that was once established in a certain place and then was scattered across, across the world. Right? But then in James 5, he says the following. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so as, as much as he's writing to these brothers and sisters that has been scattered, you know, they're away from home, they, due to persecution, they're everywhere, He's saying there will be a gathering again. And under the, under the new covenant, of course, the, the 12 tribes not just represent the Israelites, it includes the Gentiles, it includes all of us, right? Even though you're scattered in this lifetime, you will be gathered again. Take heart, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that knowledge makes it a, bit, a little bit easier to wait. If we know that ultimately, even though the fullness of the promise gave us might be not just for us, but generations to pass, and the legacy that, that will come in the future, we do wait for something good. We do wait for the renewal of our bodies to be reunited with Christ and to be totally renewed in, our, in who we are when we see him face to face. Now we see him in part, then we will see him face to face. And it's happening on earth as we wait, right? We know the testing of your faith is producing patience. Let patience have its full work so that you may be mature. So that's happening already, We're being renewed, be, be, being reunited with God. But that work will be perfected and completed when we see him face to face. And the Lord that is returning soon. It's also interesting to me in James 1 where, um, where he says, James, um, James, a bondservant of God and of Christ Jesus, he, um, James, of course, is Jesus' brother. Um, technically, his half-brother, if you think that Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. So they just say Mary as their mom, biologically. Um, but he was his brother, and they grew up in, in the house, and for all practical purpose, they had the same earthly parents. And um, many, all of us who have siblings know that you know your siblings' weaknesses <laughs> and their humanity, right? And so how much God <laughs> did Jesus have to be for his sibling to re relate to him primarily not as brother, but as servant? I'm serving my brother. Um, my worship team can come up, please. Um, and so, we understand that waiting is actually working for us, an amazing work in our hearts. It's building character. It's making us rely more on God, trusting more effectively. Scripture says it's, um, 
strength will rise as you wait upon the Lord, right? So we know what the full effect of that waiting is, how that's growing and how it will be affected in the end. But we also know ultimately we're waiting for perfect adoption, perfect renewal, perfect reunitedness. And that's, that's available to all of us, right? And like James said, um, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. We looked at Hebrews 11 where it says, you know, Abram believed God and he was waiting for the city whose maker and his builder is God. And then Hebrews 12, the next, the next verse, which Amazon spoke about earlier, says, now let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's stand. Oh, Lord, we just thank you, God, that, um, that you are good, Lord, and that we, we know, God, that you do not let us wait because you enjoy seeing us suffering, Lord. We know, Lord, that you allow us to wait, Lord, because there's something happening while we wait. There's a maturing that happens, Lord. And we, we just bless you for your goodness, Father God, that you give us good promises, God, and that you allow not only the fulfillment of that promise, Father God, but also for the, for the transformation that happens inside of us while we wait, Father God. Like you prepared these giants for the faith, Lord, Abraham and Noah and Job and Joseph, Lord, Father God. In this congregation of leaders, Lord, you're also preparing us, God, um, so that when... <laughs> When difficult circumstances come, Lord, and tough choices come, Lord, the waiting has done its work and we're able to stand in those moments, God. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg. Gave his life